Can you trust a pastor? Can you trust a pastor? Well, according to a recent Gallup poll, the answer is no. Trust in pastors has dropped to an all-time low in America. 32% of Americans say that pastors have a high or very high level of honesty and ethics. 32%. That's not good. Who do we trust more? Nurses at 78%. Thank you, healthcare workers. Veterinarians, 65%. Your dog is in safe hands. Engineers, 60%. Bridges are fine to drive on, evidently. Dentists, 59%. Police, 45%. Even chiropractors. It's a sad day in America. Got us by 1% to 33%. Praise the Lord, pastors still beat out journalists, 19%, all that fake news, you know. <laughs> Business executives, 12%. And of course, politicians, 7%. <laughs> Job security for me, evidently, in D.C. <laughs> well, well, surely the, the plummeting public perception pastors, that's a lot of P's, that's a scrabble for, I don't know what that is, but anyway, is rightly linked uh, to, to some things, right? So obviously, sadly, in, in the news, there's been abuse scandals, plagued the Roman Catholic Church for centuries, and with even our own denominations in recent years, a lot of things have come into light. Or maybe it's the, the perverse prosperity gospel preachers who who everybody knows are preying on the sick and the needy in order to pad their pockets. Or, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's pastors who sell out for political power and endorse ungodly candidates in Jesus' name. People just don't, don't trust pastors anymore who are going to do that. Or maybe it's some who have just had some, some personal experiences with pastors that shouldn't have been trusted. And they were really hurt. Church hurt hurts a lot. And then there's probably some people who just don't like their sin called out, and they're probably a little biased, and in light of that, aren't going to trust pastors. Can you trust a pastor? This is a really important question, because pastors are the spiritual authorities in all of our lives, including me as a pastor. I'm a pastor, but I submit to all the other pastors who are here. If, if you're a, a Christian, you're, you're called to to listen, to obey, and submit to your, your pastors. But can you, can you trust them? Pastors are the spiritual authorities in our lives who feed us God's word and, and teach us God's will. And sometimes you should trust a pastor. And sometimes you shouldn't. How do you know which one? How do you know which pastor to trust? When to? Well, this is exactly what Paul was facing in Corinth. As these super apostles swept in and said, oh, you shouldn't trust Paul, you should trust us. And Paul's over here saying, no, no, you shouldn't trust them, you should trust me. And the Corinthians are left to say, who do we trust? Seems like an appropriate, relevant message for us this day. Well, in the beginning of chapter 11, he said, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness, do bear with me. 
And last week we saw him go on to express fear for the Corinthian church that, that Satan was duping them. He sees himself as, as protecting the Corinthian church's devotion to the Lord. He was the one who had introduced them to Jesus, and they had been, as it were, engaged to him, awaiting his, his return to where we would become the bride of, of Christ and celebrate the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and between when we've, we've come to know him and when we see him, and the consummation of the marriage happens, until that day, Paul is overseeing their devotion, and he's jealous for them with divine jealousy. He wants them to be faithful to Jesus until they see his, his face. And his motive for them is love, right? He said in, in chapter 11, verse 11, God knows I love you. And because he loves them, he's going to act a fool. Love does that sometimes. He, he's going to act a fool for them and prove to them that he loves them with the sort of love that Jesus has for them. And in light of that, they can trust him rather than these super apostles who actually don't love them, but rather are just using them. That's where we are in chapter 11, verse 16. Follow along with me. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do accept me as a fool... So that I may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For, for you, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, and countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who's weak? Am I not weak? Who's made to fall? And am I not indignant? If I am to boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, uh, under the, 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 gover, uh, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and escaped his hands. Paul's message to the Corinthian church and to us this morning is this. Trust weak pastors who help you trust the strength of Jesus. Trust weak pastors 
who help you trust the strength of Jesus. Can you trust a pastor? Maybe. Do they, do they have the sort of weakness that Paul is talking about here? And do they, do they help you to see that the only hope for all of our weakness is Jesus and the grace that he supplies in the midst of all of our brokenness? We're going to unpack this in, in, in two, two parts. First, he's going to say, beware of impressive leaders. Beware of impressive leaders in verses 16 through 21. And then secondly, be impressed with godly weakness. Be impressed with godly weakness. Verses 21 through 28. And then at the end, we'll just unpack a few uh, take-home considerations. Beware of impressive leaders. In verses 16 through 21, Paul, here he plays the fool for them in order to show the Corinthians the danger of their deceivers. Look again, verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. Meaning, I, I'm not really a fool, okay? You, you shouldn't think of me in that light. Now, that's probably the accusation against Paul. Oh, he's a, he's, a, he's a fool. He's a loser. Look at his life. Everywhere he goes, he gets beat up and, you know, cast stones at and all this kind of stuff. This dude's a loser. You should follow us. We're awesome. That's, that's the accusation against him. He goes, I, I'm not a fool. But, but even if you do think of me as a fool, accept me as a fool so that I may boast a little. See, what Paul's doing is he's, he's a little bit of irony and sarcasm here. He says, hey, I'm not a fool, but since you like fools, I'll play your game. You like fools? Well, I'll talk like a fool so that maybe you'll listen to me and snap out of this, this spell that you're under. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the role of a fool since you like fools. And I hope it's going to help you to wake up and to see the danger that you're in. Verse 17, what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Paul's saying this isn't his typical way of talking. He's employing a, a strategy here that he's not really comfortable with. He's even going to say, I'm talking like a madman. Right? But, but he feels like he's out of options and, and he needs to get through to them. And sometimes when you feel like you're out of options, you've got to come up with some kind of creative way to cut through all of the noise and to say, hey, what you're doing is not right. It's, it's not good. It's, it's crazy. This is what 48-year-old Chris Martin did when he found his teenage daughter posting pictures of herself on Instagram that were, well, just too much. Now, he could have taken her phone away, could have just, you know, grounded her. But he decided to go a different route. What did he do? Well, he created, as any good father would, his own Instagram account and trolled her by replying to all of her pictures with himself in the same exact outfit, in the same exact pose. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> he ended up with some 90,000 followers. I'm not sure if it got through to his dad or to his daughter, but... You can see what he was doing. He said, a dad's got to do what a dad's got to do. He, he tried really hard to, to get through and say, so you shouldn't be doing this and shouldn't be doing that. And yes, should kids have Instagram and phones and all that kind of That's another conversation. But the point is, in this situation, he's like, I've got to find a way to break through all the noise and to get your attention to show you this ain't right. 
and Paul's using a similar but totally different strategy here. He, he says, you like people who boast? You like people who strut and show off? Fine, I'll play your game. I, I can do that. And, in this, and he admits, this is not the typical way of the Lord. This is not the, the kind of gospel life that he is typically ministering with. Now, he's not saying Jesus would never use rhetorical tools such as sarcasm to get his point across. Jesus did that. Prophets did that. You remember Elijah with the Baals, the Baal prophets? He's like, hey, where's Baal at? Is he in the bathroom? You know, he's, he's, he's mocking their God. Jesus did this in the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, oh, yo, you who have a, you have a log in your own eye and you're going to judge somebody who's got a speck. And if you think about it, you're like some dude with a two by four. He's like, hey, you got, a, you got sawdust in your eye. He's like, that's, that's funny. It's, it's sarcasm, which highlights stupidity. That's, that's how he's employing it here. Right? Paul admits this isn't what I, I, I typically do, but you like parades of accomplishments? Well, fine. Verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. You guys are so smart, you'll know. Again, sarcasm here is intended to, sh to shake the Corinthians out of their spiritual stupor. Now, some of you right now feel really empowered. You're like, praise the Lord. I knew that sarcasm was a spiritual gift. <laughs> some of you were thinking that, I know. Well, sarcasm is a form of humor, humor that uses irony to, to mock another. Again, Jesus used it. Paul does a couple times. He, he actually does it all the way through the Corinthian letters. I want to say sometimes it's okay. In the same way that humor can be helpful. So one of my uh, professors in seminary, a guy named Howard Hendricks, was brilliant with humor. He, he would use humor in a sermon in a way where people would open up and laugh, and then he would, bring, he would bring home a word to show like, ooh, maybe that wasn't so funny. Or, ooh, I think I'm a lot like what I'm laughing at. So there, there's ways that if somebody who's skilled in speaking can use that in a way that can be really helpful, but there's also ways it can be totally distracting. If you've, some of you have probably been, in, uh, and I've been guilty of this in, in, in many years ago, where you just too much humor, and it's just distracting. The whole thing's a stand-up comedy routine, and that's not what we came for. We came to hear from the Lord. Well, in the same way, sarcasm, it can be helpful if it's not intended to be cruel. If it's intended to be cruel and just dunk on people, like that's, that's, not, that's not how Paul's going to, to, to use it here. He's actually using it to, to protect them, to enlighten them, to cut through the noise so that they can see the truth. That, that's how he's, he's using it here. Because something's, something's at stake. Their spiritual safety. In verses 20 and 21, Paul lists five ways that the false teachers are mistreating them, and they can't even see it because they're so blind, because they're enamored by how awesome these guys are. Everybody knows their name. They've got a bunch of Instagram followers. They're trending on whatever. And like Paul's like, you don't even see that they're hurting you because you're so duped by them. You bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. Five things, he says, do you not see what they're doing to you? They enslave you. They, they minister to enslave you rather than serve you. They, they desire to dominate you. 
They don't want to make you their, their own. They want you to become so dependent on them that you can't even open your Bible and read it without saying, oh, I wonder what pastor would say. Like that's spiritual ab abuse. They're enslaving them. The whole Roman Catholic Church was built on. You can't, you, you can't understand the Bible unless the priest tells you. It's not what the Holy Spirit thinks. He says, no. Because, because what they're doing, they're trying to enslave you to, so that they can demand things from you. You need me. You're mine. That way they can get whatever money or sex or attention or affirmation or obedience that they desire. He says, that's what they're doing to you. They're, in, they're enslaving you. Secondly, they're devouring you. It's a, it's a metaphor to describe destruction, just as fire consumes or devours something. He says, that's what they're doing. Rather than, rather than giving life to you, these leaders devour those people who are under their influence. Rather than feed you, they're feeding on you. They're like a bunch of spiritual leeches who just care about you as long as you're useful to them. They will chew you up and spit you out. Thirdly, they exploit you. The word means to, to grab a hold of. They, they grab a hold of you for personal gain. They, they use their charisma to, 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 to grab you and, 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 and take advantage of you. They are, they are outwardly slick, but inwardly they're sick. They, they want to use you to promote their pastoral brand. We're going to do this, we're going to do this mission trip and make sure we get all the pictures, which again, it's not bad to take, so Thailand, you can take pictures. But again, why do we do what we do? Right? You can exploit people under your care. There's a lot of really horrific stories that I will, I will spare you, but know that this happens. Not only that, but they also exalt themselves. They put on airs is the way the, NA, or the ESV translates it. The, the word means to exalt yourself. And exalt it. If you aim to exalt yourself, it will always come at the expense of someone else. He, he's exposing their motives here. And they abuse you. Finally, number five, they strike you in the face, whether it be literally or metaphorically. Leaders who are full of themselves have no patience for people who are not, who don't have the same opinion. They will not put up with criticism. They, they will detest detractors. They will berate and belittle those who oppose them. Who do you think you are? Is what they'll say. You know who I am? Get on the bus or get under the bus. That's how it goes. I just want to say, if you have been through these sorts of things in, in a church, or your home, or your school, or your work, I just want to say you need to talk about it. It's not your fault if you've been harmed by people in authority over you. And we want to encourage you to talk about it. Our elders would, would love to help either process with you or help you get in in contact with somebody who helped you think through how to unpack some of the harm that's been done. Or if, if this has happened, if you feel like that's happened here in any way, I just want you to know our elders aim to be very open. 
You can come to us, or you can be like, yeah, I'm not coming to you. That's fine. Find somebody that you trust, and then come and talk. We need to hear. Because this is not our church. This is Jesus' church. We want to aim to never get that, that twisted. So please, if, you've, if you hear some of this and you're like, that's happened to me. It wasn't your fault. We want to talk to you about it. Jesus will give you help. Paul says of these strong, impressive, abusive leaders, verse 21, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. We're not like them. We don't do that to you. You know we don't treat you like that. Paul's ministry is the exact opposite, right? Rather than enslaved to get service, he serves them to set them free. Rather than feed on them to get worldly pleasure, he fed them with heavenly truth. Rather than exploit them for, for selfish gain, He was happy to be exploited and suffered shame. Rather than exalt himself at their expense, he humbled himself so that Christ could be seen as glorious and that would be good for them. Rather than abuse them, he endured unending abuse for their sakes so that they could see and know and experience the love of God. Paul says the reason I'm acting a fool when I'm about to run through my resume, is because I'm trying to serve you. I want you to see that these leaders aren't good for you. They don't care about you. They don't love you. They're out here trying to use you to drive up their self-importance. They're using your backs to build their platforms on. All they want is your time, your attention, your money, your body, whatever it is they want. They want it for their own evil passions, and I'm here to say don't trust them, but you can trust me, which is uncomfortable for any pastor to say. Like for me to stand up here and say, trust me, that's super awkward, but necessary if I'm telling you the truth. And we'll come at the end that it's your job to figure out if I'm telling the truth, and we'll talk about how to do that, but number two, so number one, beware of impressive leaders who are all about themselves trying to impress you because they're trying to impress you. They're not coming to love you. They're coming to get you to love them in an inappropriate way. Number two, be impressed with godly weakness. Be impressed with godly weakness. Just as us boasting in our weakness is not natural, neither is being impressed with weakness. That's not what we're naturally drawn to. Verses 21 through 28, Paul is, he's going to, we're going to see, he's always hesitant to point out his portfolio because he doesn't want to take attention away from Jesus. But he needs to speak a language that they understand, which is the language of accomplishments. So he pulls out his ministerial resume and says, let's go. Verse 21, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. You like boasting? Fine. Just, here we go. I'll give it to you. Verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Now, maybe the, the super apostles, we're getting kind of one side of the phone conversation here, but maybe they're coming in and saying, ah, he's, he's, not, he's not really a Jew. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's like, I'm more Jewish than all y'all. He pulls out his family tree, right, and he says, listen, they have old They have old covenant uh, credentials? Well, me too. Are they Hebrews? Yeah, well, I'm a fool. Uh, I I speak the Semitic language. I don't speak 
Greek. I'm, I'm a Hebrew. Are they Israelites? Listen, you can tra- trace my lineage right back to Benjamin. I'm an OG, right? They're offspring of Abraham. I'm a full-blooded Jew, circumcised on the eighth day, the whole deal. You can't get more Jewish than me, he says. All right, let's talk, let's talk new covenant credentials then, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. It's like he says, he, he feels like he needs to say it, and then he says, this is crazy. He feels as uncomfortable as you do. If a pastor starts standing up and saying, hey, look, let me tell you all the stuff I've been through. You're like, that's kind of awkward. He's like, I know, but you made me do it. Like, what other way am I going to get to you? He hates talking like this because he knows that only crazy people brag about how good of a servant they are. Like, it it makes for people, it makes sense for the people of the world to be like, oh, I'm him. I'm the man. I'm the goat. Like, that's that's how the world talks. But but when someone who's, who's, who's following Jesus is strutting around and acting like there's somebody, you know there's something wrong with that. That doesn't look a whole lot like Jesus. It feels gross, it feels crazy, but Paul says, I feel like I need to do this. Because verse 13, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And what their disguise is, is all of their credentials. It's all of their accomplishments. It's all of their hashtags, right? Well, let's compare some resumes then. Paul is about to here go in a different direction than anyone would expect. If we're gonna if we're gonna boast in ministries, what would we expect him to say? I've got a certain number of social media followers. Uh, let me list all the conferences that I've spoken at. Let me tell you how many books I've written. Let me tell you who's endorsed those books. Let me tell you the size of my church. Let me ha- tell you how many people were saved under my ministry last year. Let me ha- tell me how many people I've baptized, or how much money I've raised, or how much money I've given away, or how big my church is. Or, or, or who I know on the, the speaking circuit, who I got the picture with, humbled to hang out with this brother today. Like, right? He says, I don't do that. Instead, my highlight reel, he says, is filled with all of my suffering. Instead of me boasting in all of my touchdowns, I'm just going to show you all of my interceptions, all of my fumbles, all the times I got sacked. Verse 23. I have far greater labors. He says, I've done more for Jesus. Far more imprisonments. Everywhere I go, he says, I get locked up for Jesus. Countless beatings. He says, I've I've lost track of how many times I've got beaten up for Jesus. I'm often near death. It's like, I I never know if today is going to be my last day. Death, Death is always following me because I'm following Jesus. And then he unpacks these near death experiences in verse 24. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. This is speaking of a Jewish flogging. So a flogging is when you would take a whip. On the end of the whip you would put some sort of either bone or metal or some sort of very hard wood. It would be embedded into the leather of the whip. And then you would strike the back of someone. This is what Jesus endured before his, his crucifixion. Well, in Deuteronomy 25, verse 3, it's forbidden to give more than 40 lashes. So to be safe, because you, don't want to, you can't kill them, you're just trying to punish them. So, uh, in order to make sure that you don't miscount, let's go ahead and say 39 is what you can do. That was what the Jewish standard was. You can give 39, just in case you miscount. So five times I got that. 
195 times he was hit. I get, you know, I mean, I weed whack and get a, like a, a pebble off my ankle, and I'm, I'm done. Like this guy, 195 times across the back, across the ribs, across the stomach, across his legs. Three times I was beaten with rods. This is the Roman punishment. There's no limit in Rome. You beat until, until they're tired. Tired of swinging. Mercifully beaten with sticks and bats. One of them is recorded in Acts 16 with Silas, where he was beaten with him there and then put into prison in Philippi. He says, once I was stoned. Referring here to the time in Lystra when Because of his preaching the gospel, rocks were hurled at him, pummeled so severely that he was assumed dead. Some people think this is is when he went up to the third heaven and and saw the Lord that we'll see in a couple weeks in chapter 12. But either way, he was drug out of town, assumed dead. Three times, verse 25, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Travel back in the day was not safe. Boats were not I mean, they, were, they did their best, but it wasn't, it wasn't the sort of craftsmanship that we have today. The engineers of those days would have been a lower public approval rating. They said that the, the boats were kind of known to be floating tombs. One of these is, actually, one of these, the one that's recorded in the book of Acts would have come after this was written. So he gets another one after this, so it's at least four times. And I mean, of all these things, this is horrible, but a night and a day adrift at sea, like, that is one of my greatest fears. Like, I could not imagine just floating in the ocean, the whole thing. It's terrifying. So this is not just physically hurt, the psychological, just drama that he's been through and trauma, this is hard. Verse 26 speaks of danger in in places and from people on frequent journeys. Every trip has its trouble. In danger from rivers, there's very few bridges, so if you're going to cross, you've got a way to cross, and that, that could be really dangerous, especially a lot of rain, right? Danger from robbers, you read the Good Samaritan, right? This is common on unregulated roads, which most were. Police aren't just out and about, like robbers just post up, and like they're just going to come and take your stuff. Danger from my own people, he had Jewish opponents following him everywhere. If you read the book of Acts, you're like, Paul goes somewhere, you'd be like, set your clock, here they come, and sure enough, here come the opponents coming behind him, being like, he's a liar, he's a liar. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, including these guys, the super apostles who are here. And then down in verse 32, he mentions the scene from Acts 9 at Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was left, let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So this, this governor's come, he's going to try and kill Paul, and they're like, yo, we got to get him out, throw him in a sack, lay him down, put him in the laundry basket, out he goes. He goes, listen, there's no, there was no Escalade waiting for me out back after I got done preaching, all right? That, that, that wasn't, that's not how I left. They threw me over like a sack of potatoes, I barely made it out of town, they were going to kill me. Back to verse 27, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. He says, everywhere I go, there is hardship. And what he's not doing here is grumbling and complaining. 
This is not pastoral whining. This is him testifying of the realities that he's facing unceasingly day and night as he's doing what? Ministering the gospel. But what would drive somebody to endure all that kind of stuff? I mean, most of us, we think about going through one of those things. You're like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Which, by the way, we're not supposed to hear this and be like, I'm a loser Christian. Like, I've never done anything. No, what it's supposed to make you do is to say, praise God for the grace given to that man. And Lord, if I ever am called to face one of those or more of those, would you help me to be faithful? And you've got to remember, the, the Lord doesn't give you grace for what you're not doing yet. So if you feel like, I'm a coward, I would never do that. Well, maybe because you don't have the grace in the moment yet. But you've got to be aiming to walk with the Lord today, saying, Lord, help me to die daily to all the little things that I might be ready to suffer in any way that it would, that it would be required of me. It's not intended to make us feel like, like losers. It's supposed to make Jesus look all the more precious. That's, that's the reason Paul does what he does here. What would drive somebody to this sort of suffering? Only one answer. Divine love. He loves them. He, he loves them because he sees them as the betrothed bride-to-be of Jesus. He introduced them to Jesus. He's overseeing their devotion to Jesus until they see Jesus face to face. And he has one ambition. I want to help you home to heaven. And I want to keep you from anything that's going to hurt your love for the Lord. So because of that, I am willing to endure whatever I got to endure. Love is what drives this ambition. Love is what's willing to sacrifice for the good of others. He loves them. John 15, 13, greater love is known than this than a man will lay down his life for his friends. That's Jesus' words. That's Jesus' life. Jesus laid down his life for the church, and Paul says, well, I'm following Jesus, and I'm going to do the same. You can trust that kind of pastor. It's what's on his mind all the time, verse 28. Apart from other things, meaning I could list a whole bunch more suffering, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He says, I think night and day about you. I think night and day about the church in Galatia and in Ephesus and Laodicea and Colossae. I think of every church, in the, I think the church in, in, in Rome and Thessalonica. I think about, I think about Onesimus and Philemon and I'm, I'm thinking about, and that's why whenever, whenever he's writing his letters at the end and he gives those like the roll call of all the names, it's because these people are on his heart because he loves them. He's got, I mean, his Bible's stuffed with membership directories of all the churches that he knows and loves, and he just cares. He loves these people. He's praying for them. You see, his, his weakness here is not because of his deficiency in his message. It's not because of some inadequacy in his ministry. His weakness is a mark of his faithfulness. He's endured such hardships because he's following Jesus. Jesus is supplying strength for him every step of the way. That's why Paul's ministry has the aroma of Jesus. When you're around him, you smell Jesus. 
because, which we'll see in chapter 12 in a couple weeks, he is, he is so broken and humbled and weak that he's got no options but to cry out to Jesus. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he says, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more in my weakness. Because that's when the power of Christ is in me. God has used suffering to keep Paul humble and close to him. And those are the kinds of pastors that you can trust. Pastors who are humbled before Jesus and pastors who trust in Jesus. You see, Paul was concerned about the Corinthians' devotion to Jesus, which flowed from his devotion to Jesus. Everything Paul gave to others was an overflow of the abiding that he had with, with Christ himself. You see, Paul sees himself first as a sheep and then as an under-shepherd. Those again, are the, can you trust a pastor? Well, do they, do they get it twisted and think they kind of graduate from being a sheep? Are they always just aware that they're sheep who happen to also be serving the flock as under-shepherds? Verse 29 says, who's weak? Am I not weak? Who's made to fall and am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Verse 31, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. It's like he's saying, I'm saying this before God who I will give an account to. I'm not making up this list. I've got no duplicitous motives here. How can Paul say he's a better servant of Christ than the super apostles? Because his ministry looks like Jesus's. It's marked by sacrificial love. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his ransom, his life as a ransom for many. And Paul has done the exact same thing. The super apostles, on the other hand, their ministry looks more like Satan. Self-serving, self-exalting, misuse of the flock for their own pleasure and glory. He says, you don't trust those guys. So, can you trust a pastor? Well... I think Paul would say to us, trust weak pastors who help you trust the strength of Jesus. Four considerations. Number one, how do, we, how do we walk this out? Well, number one, trust pastors by growing in discernment. Trust pastors by growing in discernment. So our job as Christians, and I'm, I'm saying as, as a member of a church, our job as Christians is to examine what others say according to God's word. Now, there's a fine line between being gullible and suspicious. You don't want to be either of those. You want to be discerning to where you're, you're hopeful for edification, but always on the alert that people might be tripping. And you, you want to guard yourself from just, just you know, gull, being gullible or just always being skeptical. A good example of this, Acts 17 with the Bereans, says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They said, hey, give us that word. Love it. Thank you so much. We're going to go home. We're going to keep digesting. And, and, and we're going to make sure this is what the, what the word says. Right? So I want to encourage you, Delray Baptist Church, whether you're at this church or whether you go to another church or in the transient area, so may this serve you for the rest of your days until we make it to heaven. Discern pastors. Are they marked by biblical truth and spiritual fruit? Does their ministry line up with what God's word says? And do their lives reflect what God calls people to live like? 
Now listen, you've got to have both. You've got to examine both the content of their teaching and the character of their lives. Because remember, you can be right and a jerk, and that's ungodly. You can also be kind and cowardly, which is also ungodly. You want to find the right balance of kind and courageous, faithful and fruitful, tough and tender, honest and humble. Measure a pastor according to the word's standards, not the world's standards. What's the source of their strength? What is it that they boast in? Beware of pastors who boast in numbers. Certainly there's a biblical way to report the great work of God and there's a time for that. Right, so this morning I think we mentioned how many countries might be represented at the, the Thailand trip and the number of kids who are there. there there's a way to, to, to just relay information that, praise the Lord, this seems like a good opportunity. And then there's a way to be really manipulative with it. That tries to boast in numbers to get, get more money or more applause. Beware of pastors who aim to impress. Follow pastors who are impressed with Jesus. So number one is trust pastors by growing in discernment. Secondly, trust pastors who warn you of wolves. Trust pastors who warn you of wolves. One of the responsibilities that a pastor has is what Paul's doing right here, which is to say, not everybody's safe. And I think typically pastors will, will shy away from this if they don't want their own lives examined. So I just want to encourage you, whether you be here or the Lord takes you to another church, now, if all a pastor ever does is like, oh, PowerPoint of Daily Wolf, who is it today? And like, it's the, are always just putting people on blast. Like, if that's their ministry, you do not have time for that. Your soul needs better things than that. Again, the main thing should be the main thing. But there has to be a willingness to say, this is true, this is not true, here's how to do it. Beware of wolves. Paul does this. Thirdly, trust pastors who invite examination. In trust pastors who invite examination. So if you sit under a pastor who is unwilling to be examined, unwilling to, to receive some sort of complaint or accusation. Now, I do want to say in the Bible there's, there's warnings in the pastoral epistles about not uh, receiving the charge against an elder without two or three witnesses. And so it's, it's dangerous. People can come and just make up stuff about pastors. That happens too. But follow pastors who are willing to, to open their lives. This is one of the things I love about the fellow pastors that I've served with here. Like none of these brothers are, and there's nothing off limits. This doesn't mean the pastor needs to open everything to everybody. But it does mean there needs to be some sort of, of openness and they're known for being open. Otherwise, you might have reason to con be concerned. Which, side note on number three here. This is one of the reasons you need to follow local church pastors rather than podcast prophets. Some dude who's sitting in his underwear in his mom's basement doing YouTube videos about everybody else is not who you should listen to when they tell you to not trust their pastor because your pastor's not doing this or that. Like that's not, that shows spiritual immaturity to get hooked on that kind of like spiritual heroin. Do not fall for that kind of stuff. This is, you need to be around pastors that you, you watch their lives. Sure, they may not preach as good as some of the people at the conferences, but do they love you? Do they help you follow Jesus? That's what's most important. And fourthly and finally, trust pastors who are marked by love. 
love for God, and love for spiritual well-being of others. These false apostles, they were saying, hey, look at us and how impressive we are, follow us. And Paul was saying, if you've got to look at me, see how weak I am, and that through it all, I hope what you see is Jesus holding me together. And he is going to hold you together as well. So if we're going to boast, let's boast in our weakness. Because Christ is our strength. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us. Help us to have a heart that trusts you. Would you give us all spiritual palates that desire the right things in leaders that we follow? Lord, would you guard us from being duped and help us to be discerning? Lord, would you help us to to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in such a way that, that leads to freedom? God, would you create in us a yeah, a joy in our liberty of being well-loved by the Lord Jesus that would move us to, to never cease to, to praise and to, to forever boast that Christ is ours. Might in this church, as long as it exists, may Christ be supreme. And may any person who ever serves in any leadership role, may any person who's a, a parent, any person who has any authority over anyone in any realm, may they all be marked by humility that looks like Jesus. Help us to love and to serve as Christ did. Oh, give us help. We pray it in his name.